Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us in this podcast series for Integrative Arts and Humanities Course 241E, Social Dance, History, and Contemporary Reflections. Okay. Awesome. We are here with Assistant Professor of Dance at Alma College, former visiting professor of dance at Michigan State University, and all around dance genius, dance <laughs> master, Rosalie Kahn's. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. What do you, what do you think about that title? Do you like dance genius? <laughs> um, I don't know. So, so pretentious. It's good when it's applied to a woman. There we go. Sometimes okay. it, it goes to, towards men. So yeah, it's a little bit yeah. better when, when, when you, yeah. Um, but it, yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become dance genius? <laughs> so I am from Brazil. Um, I was born and raised there. I studied dance when I was, started studying dance when I was six. Uh, ballet was my first language in dance and um, Afro-Brazilian dances like samba were all, always part of my life, but I didn't associate them with formal learning of these because that was something that I used to do at parties or with my family. Um, so serious dance for me was always ballet and modern later. I completed my BFA in Brazil and I also have an MA, a master's in arts in performing arts, which is a degree that combines dance, theater and performance from Brazil, from State University of Campinas, Brazil. And I, in 2014, I came to the United States to do my MFA, Masters of Fine Arts in Dance at University of Colorado at Boulder. Soon after I finished that, I was fortunate enough to get a position as a visiting professor at Michigan State, which was amazing. It was a great year. Um, and now I am at Alma College in a, in a tenure track. Um, and that's a little bit about me. That's amazing. So you've you've pretty much been performing, researching, loving, and uh, teaching dance your entire life. Pretty much, yes. Um, my husband and I we have a joke that um, when he invites me for something, the default answer is I cannot. I have rehearsal. <laughs> Um, so I've been performing professionally in dance companies in Brazil and, and here in the United States, choreographing. Um, I would say now uh, going more into the realm of screen dance. So I make dance for camera films. I'm learning more about this hybrid genre. Um, and I always bring my roots with me. Even more now in the United States, I recognize myself as Brazilian through my experience with Afro-Brazilian dances. So those became even more present here than they were back in Brazil, which is ironic, but yeah. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. You know, part of that that really, that excites me is that idea of, of you know, because I know that you were using film as a medium 
you know, long before we were forced to have these sort of classes. Um, so did you feel like when, when everything hit, you feel like you were still able to kind of bring a sense of yourself and a sense of your teaching through, through, through film and through like online teaching? Yeah, I think I, before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, I saw film as an artistic tool mostly. And now I, I was forced like every one of us <laughs> to see it as an educational tool. So I, I'm thinking a lot about that and how through film, can we replicate some things? What is lost, what is gained um, in this relationship with students, with uh, audiences, uh, with the, the art of dance? That's fabulous. Well, um, we're get, we have an exciting conversation today. Um, the module for this class um, is titled uh, Dances of the Oppressed. And it's, it's basically, um, doing a um a brief overview of of dances that that were kind of um created and fostered um out of suppression and um or oppression or um illegality or um you know uh, some sort of kind of um strict guidelines of of sort by the uh, by the ruling class or by the haves um so we have a lot of things to talk about, but one of the ones that comes to mind and the reason um, you um, were blessed with your presence here is that you have a um, you have a lot of experience with capoeira. Um, can you tell us what that is? Yes. So um, capoeira is this <clears throat> Afro-Brazilian dance slash fight. Um, it came with uh, the slave trade in Brazil um, around 1530s-ish. Um, and it's hard to trace exactly where it's from in, in Africa, but because most of the enslaved populations that were brought to Brazil forcefully, they come from Angola, Congo, um, some from Nigeria. We Scholars believe that these three countries were the main sources of, of the Afro-Brazilian dances in Brazil, including capoeira. Uh, it, was, um, it was a dance of resistance because first it was connected to the African, African roots of the enslaved people in Brazil. So it was a way to remember the, their chants, their, sing, their songs, um, it, and it was a way to keep moving in a way that was close to the roots. So it was a way to embody um, tradition. It was a way to uh, keep active, like keep owning your own body, which is the first thing that slavery takes away from you like you're not the owner of yourself anymore which is crazy mm -hmm. so the act of moving and moving fiercely and moving sometimes aggressively was important for enslaved people in that in those conditions because it gave them a sense of ownership again and, and belonging that's happening um, and I, i've never heard it put put that way where it you know it's like if there's it there's one thing that you can't 
you can't take away from me. It's just how I exist inside of this body and how exactly. I can, and how I can, how I can move that body. But of course they tried to. Yes. There are two main styles of capoeira in Brazil. One is called capoeira angola, which comes more directly, uh, scholars trace it more directly to the country of Angola. And the other one is called capoeira regional, uh, with, which in English it's regional, that's how you spell it. Um, and the styles, they have lots of similarities amongst them, but they also have some differences. Uh, there's a lot of debate in terms of, oh, is Angola the more traditional, the more authentic, authentic one? Is Regional the more um, modernized? Some, some scholars even say whitewashed, but I disagree with that. I think um, both of them are genuinely capoeira styles, and they both have their specificities, and both of them reflect somehow both the African influences that they have and the, the inventions, the creations that happened when um, the enslaved people came to Brazil, which is, which is a natural process that happens with traditions. They change according to the context, to the history, to whoever is, whoever is involved in them. Right. Uh, so I personally, and some scholars to reject this notion that capoeira regional is less capoeira. Mm. Um, but both of them are, again, a, a form of a sort of dance and a fight. And they, um, they started first in the state of Bahia, which is northeast of Brazil. It was the first capital of Brazil by enslaved people. The reason that they needed to disguise this was because, of course, um, they were not allowed to, to move and to express themselves in the ways that they wanted to or that they felt important for themselves. They were persecuted, they were uh, beaten up. So um, that's why capoeira sometimes is said as disguised as a dance. Um, even though when you look at capoeira angola, I tell my students it resembles a lot of uh, contact improvisation. There's a lot of weight sharing and a lot of improvisation capoeira is improvised right you you're fighting someone and you don't have anything choreographed to rely on you need to be in the moment responding to the other person so that's really interesting um because you know some of the dances we're talking about in this class refer to such strict pomp and circumstance that everybody has to know the same step but what you're saying is basically they have like an understanding of what it is. And then in the moment they kind of create it and improvise. Yes. Yes. So you, it depends on the style. Again, Angola is more improvised than regional, mostly because Angola is really close to the floor. Um, you have your knees bent all the time. You have a lot of inversions. So upside down movements, um, there are not a lot of kicks in, in Angola. Like when you look at it, it, it's like two people are moving together and responding to each other um, as, as a way to not um, hurt the other person. So that's one important aspect of capoeira. You're not trying necessarily to hurt your, your fellow player. 
we say play in capoeira, we don't say fight. Um, you're, you're trying to make that person miss, miss a kick, miss uh, you fall on their butts, but not in a way that they will get permanently hurt or something like that. It's not about today, it's not about blood. Um, some, I tell my students when they, if they find a group that plays like that, they run. Huh. There are some still, uh, but that's not what capoeira stands for nowadays. Um, regional is more virtuosic, like you see more kicks, it's faster, the music is faster. We are going to talk about music in a while, but you notice the rhythm, it heats up. Um, and the other strategy that it was used to disguise capoeira was um, the fact that it was played in a circle. So wow. the, the, the players would form a circle, which we call roda in Portuguese. Uh, R-O-D-H-O-D-A, it's R-O-D-A. Okay. Um, so you, if you are outside of the circle, you cannot necessarily see what is going on inside. So it becomes a protective place. And then you play, the, the players play inside the circle and people take turns coming in and out. Oh, I see. It's almost as if it's like a, like a wall around it. Exactly. Oh, uh, and you have the instruments too, uh, playing in that in that circle, and people sing and clap. So that's another another aspect of the participatory um, uh, characteristic of this form. So everyone is part of the game, even though you're not playing necessarily, like you're not moving in pairs, which happens in the, at the center of the circle. You are sustaining the circle by singing, by playing by playing the instruments that I'm going to uh, tell you about, but um, everyone is integrated in that moment. Oh, that's fantastic. So every, so everyone has a, has a part to play, but there always are two featured players. Exactly. Oh, that... And uh, the order usually that they come in is by hierarchy. So mm -hmm. if you are new to the group, you chances are that you're going to be invited to come into the circle if you want to, to play, but you're going to be last. Um, there's a sort of uh, hierarchy in terms of age. So older players and people that are playing for more time, they, they have preference. They come in to play first, like setting the standards of, of that hoda, for example. Um, and the other thing is the masteries, the masters. So in Capoeira, you have masteries, which are um, people that teach you, and they usually learn from their masters. So there's that relationship uh, that is very similar to other forms of things like ballet, where who you trained with um, is important because it tells you what one, what your style, are you more aligned with Angola or Regional? Um, and where do you come from? Like who is your master tells everyone who who you are somehow wow that's fascinating so it's somebody who's really who's really you know knowledgeable and kind of like a lifelong learner in this form it's almost like it's almost like a secret body language you can tell so much about a person based off of how they how they react and how they perform yeah wow. how they enter the hada you can tell like oh this is and we call them angoleiros when they pay, when they play Angola. They are angoleiros. 
uh, you can tell like this is an angoleiro or this is a person that was trained more in regional. Um, mm. Yeah, there is like a signature to it. That's that's really that's really cool. Um, so, if what what would our students expect um, to hear? So let's talk about the auditory nature of it because I know it's important. Um, do do you have any samples of music? Of, yes. Of any kind, um, and you know we can, I can pull something up too. But um, you know I, I'm assuming um, as you as you find something, I'm assuming that that it's not just the instruments. It must be quite a vocal experience as well. Yes. So. Um... I'm going to tell a little bit about the instruments themselves, and then I'm going to play something for you to listen to. So the main instrument, uh, the main instrument in capoeira is called berimbau. And berimbau is an instrument that is super interesting because it has a string, and I can send you pictures of that. Uh, but it also has a gourd, and it it's played like a percussion instrument, but also a string instrument. So it, it's, it's a, a, a hybrid. Um, and the, the sound comes from you put, pulling the gourd closer or farther from your belly. Huh, no kidding. Um, part of the sound. Um, and then in the hada, you also have other instruments like a tambourine. Mm. In Portuguese, we say pandeiro. You have the cowbells. Mm -hmm two uh which are agogo um and you have a large drum most of the times that um is called atabaki in portuguese mm. but mostly people if people don't have any of these instruments there has to be a bidding okay so that's like that's key. that's the default yeah. and the bidding another important thing about it is that um it differs in the, si the size of the gourd, uh, which is called cabasa. The size of the cabasa determines the sound of the berimbau, but also the hierarchy of who plays the berimbau. So you have the, the big one, the, the, the large, if you have a large um, cabasa, that berimbau is the gunga, is the largest one. Mm it keeps the base of the the rhythm right. and then you have the medium which is called medio in portuguese it's just translating medium mm -hmm. uh, and you have the viola which is the smallest one mm -hmm. the gunga is interesting because it's usually played the larger one it's usually played by the the mastery and the hada if there are two masters then the older one will play it and um, if the gunga, if you don't know how to play very well, the gunga will overpower everything and you cannot listen to any other instruments. Really? So it's a characteristic of a good leader that they know how to keep the pace and they know how to be assertive in the sound, but at the same time, they cannot overpower everything They're else. They're listening just like the dancers are listening. Exactly. Wow, that's very interesting. And they determine, so if they, if they see, for example, I've been in Hadas where people get super heated up and they are about to hurt each other because they get carried away, mm -hmm. then the gunga is what cools down. Oh, wow. Like the rhythm. 
or speeds it up. If the hoda is too, like if people are not engaging as much, then then you see the master in the gunga like bring. Come on, it. come on, let's go, let's go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, let's pick it up. Or whoa, um, whoa, slow it down. Yeah, That's slow down. Cool. Slow slowing down. It's more common, to be honest. Like I, I I've always noticed when the the hoda is about to get dangerous, it's the gunga. It's the sound of the gunga that brings it. Um, to a safe, yeah. <laughs> safe pacing, let's say. Um, so the, the language that you're gonna hear is Brazilian Portuguese, okay. which is a little bit different from Portuguese from Portugal. There are a lot of similarities. We can understand each other, but um, there are some differences too. And um, sometimes there are some um, Bantu words or Yoruba words that are inserted in some songs just because of that uh, tradition from from African countries and um, the last thing I was going to say there's call and response ah. so you will hear that the person who is playing the gunga calls and the the chorus the rest of the players respond to it so there is that dynamic of call and response. Oh, fabulous. So this is an instrumental one that I put just for you to, to listen to the rhythm. And you can hear the tambourine yep. too. The pandero in, in Berimbau playing together. Okay. And this kind of song is called São Bento Grande. There are different uh, rhythms that can be done with the bow. This one is very characteristic of Angola. So it's, it's slow, it's slow compared to other okay. ones. So I'm noticing two tones. Is that is the tonal change the string or the distance between? Are they like is it farther away from the exactly. belly? Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Cool. And there is also the pressure. So you play with a rock yeah. uh, in your hand. So you put pressure on the string with this rock, or take it away. Oh, so cool. it's a mixture of belly proximity and also amount of pressure on the string. So this is one of the most traditional songs. Everyone will listen in some capoeira group. If you ever join it, it's um, the default that people associate with capoeira. So I'm gonna play it for you. Did you did you notice the response? 
Paranauê, Paranauê, Paranauê. Yeah, I loved it. It was really beautiful. Um, I feel like there's, I feel like it's it's so it's so rich in its simplicity, and it feels like it's like I might be over emotionalizing this, but it feels like it's like such an ancient, um, kind of human sound like you can hear this in so many different cultures and different different kind of ways it's almost just like a natural i don't know it's really beautiful i love that nice yeah i like it too so um it's it's something that we can get involved in here you can um their capoeira spread out to different countries in the world. So if you go to Israel, you can play capoeira. If you go to China, you can play capoeira. Mm -hmm. um, in Michigan, we have some people doing it in uh, Ann Arbor, um, Detroit, of course, and also Lansing. I couldn't, when I was there, I couldn't find a master, mm -hmm. but I found a Contramestre, which is a person just right below a mestre, and they can teach as well. Um, and his name is Mestre Forca. Um, he actually teaches F O R C A. F O R C A. Yes. Okay. And he teaches at the, I think it's the Presbyterian Church hmm. on Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, oh, yeah. I can I can give you all this information <laughs> if you want later. Um, he charges very little mm -hmm. for the classes, um, and it's a good group. Like people come and go, but um, and he does a, a style that is some people call contemporary style of capoeira, which is a mix of Angola and regional. So it's not pure Angola, not pure regional. It's it's a mixture. Yeah, you asked me um, about if capoeira was at. Uh, um, actually banned since we were talking about Vince's oh, yeah, yeah. oppressed and I did some research on that because I was like I know this happened but I don't know exactly when oh yeah so um what I found out is that it when Brazil Brazil was um invaded by Portugal so it was a, a colony of Portugal yeah. uh even after its independence it's it was a still uh, a slavery based on slavery mm. Um, and it was a monarchy. Mm. It's interesting that most scholars tell us that the monarchy was fairly um, tolerant of these practices of enslaved people. Mm. They allowed it. You could be persecuted, but it was informal. There was not nothing um, official that said capoeira cannot be done. When Brazil becomes a republic, which happened in uh, 1830, then um, the practice is forbidden. Really? Um, the first uh, criminal code of Brazil in 1890 explicitly says that capoeira is a crime, that you can be arrested, deported, um, or for in, in, put into forced labor. Wow. So if you were caught playing capoeira on the streets, um, probably you would be beaten up by the police of the time, but you would also be um, committing a crime. Wow. 
So that's around like 1890s. And then right at that time, like about five or ten, 10 years later, people start talking about capoeira as, and by people I mean um, scholars, like elite people in Brazil, they start claiming capoeira as part of national identity. Right. So it, it starts to change the way that people see it, it becomes more institutionalized. Around 1964, Brazil was uh, subject to a dictatorship, the military dictatorship. And, and um, the narrative changes to capoeira is our national identity. It's part of what being Brazilian is. So it starts being associated with that sense of national pride. Um, almost like the system incorporated something that was once outlawed mm -hmm. to create uh, discourses around Brazilianness. Mm. Um, oh my goodness. So it's had quite, quite a history. Yeah. Right. What do you see social dance as now or communities and, and, and movement? Like, how do you see it? How can it be used in 2020? Is it, is there a way for it to bring, to bring um, all the beautiful things that you mentioned before back? Is it in this time? I know this is kind of a tough question, but I mean, how do you see it being used as a tool to, for change or empowerment? I think if we go back to the very beginning of our conversation, what can online instruction provide and what we lose and what we gain, one thing that we gain is the possibility of watching videos. So seeing things, informing yourself, looking at these dances as part of culture, as part of people, as part of history. And for me, what I'm, of course, a, a, a person that, uh, I'm passionate about dance. And I think dance brings this unique opportunity to embody the past. So you're not just learning about it intellectually, but you're actually embodying it, bringing it to your flesh, to your bones, to your cells, to your sweat, uh, to your emotions. It's, it's something that involves your, your whole being. Um, so I think in that sense, I feel like it's a possibility of understanding your past beyond intellectual uh, engagement and it provides a visceral engagement with it. Mm. Um, I feel we lose the possibility of contact, of proximity until maybe we find a vaccine or maybe some things change. Um, that will allow us to, to coexist in the same space because that's what capoeira is about. Um, it's about playing with someone else, but I wouldn't be discouraged uh, by that fact. I, in the end of the uh, last semester at Alma, I taught, I needed to teach parts of my class um, online, my Afro-Brazilian dance class. And we found strategies to continue 
feeling that sense of strength, fierceness, um, movement in our homes. So I ask students to place like a bench, in, uh, a stool in front of them and they would play with the stool. Mm. Um, I had like a Pilates ball in front of me and I would move with it as well to just keep feeling what I feel when I play cup with it. It's not the same thing, but um, it keeps us active. It keeps that sense of ownership of the body, of um, movement, of um, connection to history and, and listening to the music and singing. Even if you don't know the words, I, I, again, I joke with my students. I'm like, you hear me speaking English with you all the time with my accent. I'm not ashamed of it. I make mistakes. I continue. Please do the same. Just, just replicate some sort of sound. Like you can even mimic mm. some version. It doesn't mean if it's right or wrong when you're, when you're responding to, to capoeira and we're playing together or even at your living room. Uh, just do it because singing is also part of your body mm. right so it brings you that whole uh vocalization that comes with it and influences in movement as well that's awesome that gave me chills thinking about that because it, you referring it back to the ownership of the of the body is so such a strong such a strong way to to think about not only what's going on with the protests but also with our lack of of connection you know, is still feeling like we are who we were. That's wonderful. Before we go, is there is there anything else that you feel like you're like, ah, there's a one other thing that I just wanted, that's one thing I wanted to mention. Yeah, there are some uh, online classes that are being offered oh. right now in Capoeira for beginners oh. included. Uh, so if even if you don't have prior experience with the form, there are some groups. I am doing um, uh, classes with this group that is from the uh, West Coast. So there's the time difference there, but it's usually fine for us in the, sure. in the Eastern time. Um, they charge donation-based classes. So if, if the students are interested, I can forward that information to you. Um, I still have my uh, contacts when I used to train practice in Colorado as well. Um, they are they are still doing some online classes. So I feel like if you're if you're interested or if you heard about the forum and you were like, oh, I would, would give it a try. Again, it's not ideal because you'll not be there in the same room, but there are plenty of opportunities for just just to try it out and no judgment, um, no pressure. It's just a good exercise it's also good a cultural practice um yeah please yeah. send send me that all and i'll link i'll link that into the d2l um into the the online classroom so that so that uh, we can all do that together that's fabulous rosalie it was such a pleasure to get to hear from your vast wealth of knowledge this has um been so exciting um, to reconnect with you. And thank you so much for bringing all of this amazing information um, to these students. Um, I can't wait for them to listen to it. Thank you. The 
The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform students enrolled in IAH 241E Social Dance History and Contemporary Reflections course.